0: Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show, Je Suis Charlie, and if you don't like this show, then just turn the damn thing off. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit, here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome! It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it's Tuesday night. Time for another episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. So, what are we going to do tonight? Well, for pipe parts, by request, we're going to talk about uh, stingers. Yeah, the little doodads that sometimes are in some pipes in the, attached to the stem inside the mortise. Yep, we're going to talk about stingers. And then my guest tonight, I am excited and, uh, and also scared because he's way smarter than I am, but my guest tonight is uh, pipe author, uh, pipe researcher, Ben Rappaport. Ben's got a couple of new books out and a whole bunch of stuff that we're going to try to cover in tonight's show. Music, mailbag, and you know what? I think we'll do a rave tonight, a wine-related rave tonight. So all that coming up in tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, I'm also, I'm happy to say, and I'm also a little jealous because my son is checked in down in Orlando at the uh, Walt Disney World property for his four-and-a-half-month summer program. Uh. Kevin will be doing Custodial in uh, the Magic Kingdom. He will become the third generation of Levines that have worn a Disney name tag inside of a Disney theme park. So, excited about that. A little jealous that he gets to do that. Uh, Anyway, anybody going to Walt Disney World in the next four and a half months, and you see a Custodial kid in the Magic Kingdom, and his name tag says... Kevin, well, that's probably my son, so feel free to feel free to give him a rash or ask him a silly question. Hey, listen, just for fun, if you do see him, ask him what time the 3 o'clock parade is. It's one of our favorite uh, inside stupid guest questions that uh, guests would come up and ask us. Anyway, he'll be at the Magic Kingdom for four and a half months. Uh, we'll be down there in April to visit with him, so looking forward to that. All right. Enough of the Disney stuff. Notice I didn't talk about my Disney pipes, but, (laughs) oops, just did. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Let's get the show going. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go.
1: The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country... It's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com.
2: Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? 4Noggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from 4Noggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the US and international with no worries. 4Noggins.com, for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. <coughs>
3: This is Lord Vader, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. I find your lack of faith disturbing.
0: Welcome back. All right, by request from uh, listener Rondy, he asked about uh, asked if we talk about stingers, and I thought we touched on them briefly, so figured I'd go a little bit more into detail. What exactly is a stinger? A stinger is a uh, is a piece of metal or plastic or aluminum. Any, it's a piece of plumbing that is inserted into the pipe. Uh, made by, made specific by the manufacturer for that pipe and it's fitted inside the tenon of the stem and then the mortise is cut so that this piece of plumbing will work. Now, I think there's a couple of ideas going on here. Uh, one idea was if you put a piece of metal in there and then cut some holes off to the side of it that instead of getting the smoke coming straight from the bowl, you'd get the smoke coming into an enlarged internal mortise, and just the smoke would come into the small holes, and the moisture would stay down inside that enlarged area. Kind of the same idea as a Peterson system pipe. Uh, Now, the other benefit was, especially in the early 1900s and even into the 1940s and 1950s, a lot of the pipe tobacco blends were uh, smaller cuts, more traditional small burly cuts, uh, cube cut burly, lots of smaller cut Virginias because the idea of a long ribbon or a long shag wasn't quite as popular then. So a lot of these stingers would also stop the tobacco from coming up the stem at you. Um, It also worked as well for uh, inhibiting the ash at the bottom of the bowl from coming up an open direct draft hole from the bottom of the bowl in. Some of them are also considered to be condensers. They're steel and aluminum so the moisture is going to get attracted to that and kind of stick on it. I think that's a bunch of hockey-pucky. But, you know, whatever you want to think, fine. But they've been called condensers. Uh, several, several pipe manufacturers, uh, including the some of the early Kamoys and Dr. Grabo and then Kay woody they all had patented types of stingers. Uh, some of them used them as a way to also help use a screw-in tenon. So the, not only was the stinger part of it, but the tenon was actually part of the stinger and it would have threads on it and you'd screw it into the pipe. So it had a male end and a female end. Um, my One of my favorites is Dr. Grabo's idea of what they call the D-cut or the D-shaped stinger. And picture it it's not really a d shape but picture it's a uh it's a cylindrical piece of metal that has two d's cut out of it one uh, at the back and one at the front cut from opposite sides and the way it would screw into the pipe was the first part of it had a little bit of a little bit of a uh, uh inhibited the smoke a little bit and kind of forced it up and over and that was considered to be a nicotine trap. And then the second half of the D being reversed and underneath, the moisture would come down and go in there. And then there was an air hole right up the middle. I don't think any of this worked, but it was a, uh, for better for use of a better term, it was a gadget that uh, was supposedly designed by a physician for a better smoke um when you look inside some of the older pipes from the from the 40s 30s 20s you'll see all different shapes some very pointy and almost looking like a uh, looking like a spire on top of a castle i'm thinking about disney world again uh but they'll be very pointy and then they'll have ribs and then behind the ribs will be where the air hole is so it'll stop moisture from coming through it'll stop tobacco from coming through some of them are very simple as to just have a ball that kind of blocks up the almost the right size of the draft hole and just allows the smoke to come around it and forces the moisture around and then there'll be two or three holes in it Um, the uh, the stingers that don't function as a tenon They can be safely removed from the pipe, usually with a pair of pliers. They're usually just glued or fitted in uh, really snugly so you can work them out. If the stinger is incorporated into the tenon, you can't remove them at all unless you want to get a whole new stem made. Uh, If you want to find out more on stingers, poke around on pipedia.org and just search stingers and you'll see even where Peterson used a stinger for their higher end system pipes. Uh, You'll see Sheraton used a type of a metal stinger. But uh, there you go. There's the the Brian version of the history of stingers and probably one of the reasons why we don't see many of them out now is because i don't think they were worth much so there you go all right in just a few minutes ben Rappaport will be on the phone with me this is internet
3: radio
2: craftsmanship history tradition these are the hallmarks of all quality products from the finest wines bottled in france to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in germany In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Baron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of Burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Baron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Baron Tobacco Company, available at fine tobacconists everywhere.
1: There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com.
0: I am happy and scared to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show, possibly um, one of the most educated pipe and tobacco experts were ever going to hear on the show, but please welcome, uh, I forgot how I was going to say this, but uh, tobacchiana, antiquarian expert, uh, pipe bibliophile, and just a a wonderfully written and well-read guy, please welcome Ben Rappaport to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Howdy. Ben, first of all... Uh, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join us, and tell everybody, where, where'd you grow up? Let's get to know a little bit about you first.
4: I grew up, born, raised, and educated in Boston, Mass. Uh, um, what's your West End, actually.
0: The West End of Boston?
4: Right. Next to the Mass General Hospital, although not born there.
0: Uh, so I take it you are a Red Sox fan?
4: No, a Braves fan. I cried a lot when the Braves left Boston.
0: Wow. That, okay, so that does date you just a little bit.
4: Yeah, I was born in 36.
0: So what was your, what was your formal education in?
4: I uh, went to the oldest high school in the country, Boston Public Latin. It was founded in 1635, a year before Harvard. And the very reason why it was founded in 1636 is because when the kids graduated from Boston Public Latin School, they had no place to go except to a further education. So Harvard was founded for that purpose. From there, I went to Northeastern, graduated, spent the next 20 years in the Army, and spent the next 26 years working for a defense contractor. And now I'm on my third career, which is called retirement.
0: (laughs) And and in your third career of retirement, so far you have written or been part of writing 10 books, a couple of forwards, and more articles on pipes and tobaccos than I could even count.
2: Yeah,
4: probably. I've never counted the articles, but the accurate number is 8 books and a couple of forwards, as you say, and a couple of hundred articles. And I keep on doing it as long as I get up in the morning, check the obits, and find out that I'm still alive and well. (laughs) Grab a cup of Java, head on down to the computer, stare at my library and say, hey, there's something that hasn't been written about in years, maybe never, I think I'll crack that one open, and then see if I can find a home for it in print.
0: Uh, when did you When did you first become interested in pipes and pipe smoking?
4: Well, rather interestingly, my father and mother ran a mom and pop store in, across from Symphony Hall in Boston, and I worked there after high school and after college classes, and in those days, and we're talking about the early 50s, a lot of tobacco companies would blister pack two packages of tobacco and a pipe, bind them together. My father was pretty shrewd as a businessman, so he tore the package apart and sold the two packages of tobacco discreetly. And then I took the pipes. So I had a shake and bake collection when I was about 14 or 15. And as I... Grew out of the pipe then and went to college. I started smoking a cigar. And then in the Army, traveling around the globe, I noticed pipes in all kinds of configurations and shapes and materials. Got curiously interested in building a collection of those. Realized that there wasn't much in print. And so I decided that one day, if I got smart enough and had enough exhibits in my home, I'd write a book. And, of course, that train left the station in 1972, and it hasn't arrived at its final stop yet.
0: <laughs> and still writing and writing. Uh, your first book, was that a tobacco source book?
4: Correct. Uh, I was in Germany at the time, and this was set in linotype, believe it or not, the old-fashioned way. And I had my first experience in being an author. Seven years later... Schiffer Publishing in Pennsylvania called one night, you know, just circumstantially and said, hey, I read some articles about you. Has there ever been a book in English on antique pipes? And I said, to the best of my knowledge and according to my own small library, no. Well, do you know how to write? I said, I think so. And he said, would you be interested in doing a book? And that was the start of the real serious business of book publishing. Since that time, it's been Schiffer on one, two, three books. I've had one designed by Donnelly, probably the best printing house in America. One, uh, two of them I did myself. And the last one is with a company that certainly most people who subscribe to Pikes Magazine already knows, is Gary, Gary Trier. And yeah. That one just was released in December.
0: And that one excited me in particular. It's... Uh, tobacco and smoking among the blue and the gray: The Illustrated History of an American Folk Art Curiosity, the Civil War Soldier's Tobacco Pipe. And Correct. It, I mean, what can you just walk us through? What you you get the idea for the subject, and then you just start digging into the research.
4: Well, if I can bore you and the and the listening audience uh, as to how this came about. He was rather serendipitously. Um, I have a dear friend in Florida who, at the time, was collecting Civil War pipes. In fact, he was noted as having the largest collection of Civil War pipes in the United States. His name is Norm Fladerman. And in June of 2013, I read that there was a collection of antique uh, of Civil War pipes being auctioned off in Cincinnati at an auction house. So I got a hold of Norm and I said, well, by email, and I said, hey, do you know about this auction? Only to get a, um, an email back from his wife saying Norm passed away in December of 2013. Hmm. And, and I'm sorry, in May of 2013, I was, call, I was emailing two months later in, in July. And the collection in Cincinnati was from a gentleman from Ohio who died in December. So here we have two collectors of Civil War pipes dying five months apart. Mr. Sorgenfry in Ohio in December, my dear friend Norm Fladerman dying in May of two thousand thirteen. So I contact the Fladermans and I contact the auction house in Ohio and they willingly wanted to cooperate with me and I said, I really want a book that will be somewhat in perpetuity of these two guys who saw fit to collect a very interesting artifact of that war. An artifact in fact that nobody, to the best of my knowledge, had ever recorded in paper. I couldn't find an article on the internet, I couldn't find a book that discussed them, and I said, if they'll allow me to do this, I'm gonna go forward with the effort. And that's how it started in the, in the summer and fall of two thousand thirteen and Fourteen months later, we now have a book, you know, a hardcover book that's now in print. It was a very interesting story because if it weren't for the fact that I saw this auction online, got a hold of Norm found out he had deceased, found out that the the seller, the family of the seller of those pipes in Ohio was another Civil War pipe collector about whom I knew nothing, I said, I think I can tie these two things together and make an interesting uh, account of, of what it was like. But it's not just a picture book about pipes. It talks about Civil War soldiers and the desperation and their use of tobacco and how they lived with tobacco throughout the four years of the war.
0: I've seen a couple of uh, a couple of real actual Civil War pipes, and they're not what you know, the, Those of us now that have briar pipes all over the place, they're they're not traditionally briar pipes. They would have been more of a clay or if i'm correct they also would have been something that the soldier would have made for himself out in the field correct
4: is whatever local woods they could find whether it was hickory oak walnut burl um, ash and that's what these pipes that that are photographed in the book is well over 150 of them that's what these pipes are made of there are, there are statements in books and there are statements on the internet that say that they smoke briar pipes. That's absolutely impossible. I mean, the first briar pipes came out of out of Saint Claude in the late 1850s. There's no way five years later you'd see a finished briar pipe in the mouth or in the hand of a Civil War soldier, whether he's from the South or the North, being smoked and being photographed by a guy named Brady. Those were all hand-carved pipes from local woods.
1: So
0: you know, I- yes. I'm sorry, but a lot of this book will also serve as a uh, as a manual for all the Civil War reenactors that are out there and show them exactly what they should be doing.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, if they have the skill and the and, you know the tools to make one, uh, and there are a couple of people today who are reproducing this kind of a pipe uh, in Briar. Well, one of them is uh, the Boswell folks in Pennsylvania, who have a website and they put out a 150-year Sequicentennial pipe for sale recently, and then the guy named Ubbin, uh, Randy Ubbin, who is in Connecticut. He has, on order, of course, not he doesn't have a, a full array of pipes that he goes to a pipe show with. He'll make one special to order if you contact him. And those pictures are in the book as well.
0: In your research, did you find out how the soldiers acquired tobacco? Was it part of a standard ration that was. Brought to them.
4: Yep, there were rations, and there were also an exchange between the South and the North. The South had the preponderance of of decent burley, and the North had coffee. And the Civil War soldiers of the South, you know, really wanted a decent cup of coffee. And so, during lulls in the battle, or crossing battle lines, they swapped newspapers, coffee, tobacco.
0: So, there was no Starbucks back then
4: That's absolutely not, nor was there a tinder box
0: and no mail order
4: no <laughs> no nope, and and obviously no internet
0: <laughs> uh and then the previous book that you put out is uh uh is based off of the European porcelain pipe yeah which uh, you you gotta just give us a just give us a brief history of those, because some of them are absolutely beautiful.
4: Well, thank you. Again, it's an interesting story that I can weave. You know, the two foremost countries that produced hundreds of thousands, well, maybe millions, of porcelain pipes were both France and Germany. Neither one of those countries has ever produced a book, and there are collectors of of porcelain pipes in both countries, but neither, neither country has ever produced a decent book covering the entire industry from start to finish. And a collector friend of mine in Chicago decided uh, that we ought to do a book together. So here we are, two Americans, both fairly fluent in German, both having contacts in Germany and in France with collectors of those very pipes, and here we are, you know, sticking our neck out, writing a book about their history. Uh, Great Britain never got excited about importing any. And the United States had one or two retailers who imported them, but they weren't big sellers. Everybody knows that it's probably the worst smoking utensil you can get uh, and smoke from. And yet, there are a lot of collectors who have been waiting for such a book. It came out in October. Uh, I can't talk to sales, and I don't know how successful it is, but at least we got it done. And since no European has seen fit to do it, we said we will, and we did
0: And there it is. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk about an article that's coming up and some other suggested reading from Ben. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion, it's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve, it is ever changing. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer
2: today. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for cupofjoes.com. Cupofjoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. Cupofjoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly pipes. Check out their remodeled website at cupofjoes.com and be sure to like them on Facebook, cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices.
0: We are back still visiting with Ben. I haven't scared him off or made him mad at me yet. So, But I also failed to mention that you are probably... Not only are you a recipient of the Doctor of Pipes from Chicago, you're a member of the Conferee of in St. Claude. And I believe you're the first person that I know of that is a member of the Pipe Smokers Hall of Fame. And you were inducted way back in 73. So, I mean... A ton of honors for all your work. Uh, Your next piece coming up is an article that will be in Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, which you've done a, uh, a whole pile of writing for. The line in the introduction that I love is this one. And you write, Would you believe that after religion... The next most written-about topic in the past four hundred plus years has been tobacco and smoking. Tis true. It why? Is true. Why do you think that is? Well,
4: I'll give you my own personal view of it. I think with the introduction of tobacco that spread across Europe and the United States, there was a certain fascination with what it could do. You know, as enjoyment, also as a as an antidote to various sicknesses, that people began to write about it. And then as it spread throughout the world, people noticed that they were developing various and sundry utensils for its consumption. Snuff boxes and snuff mugs and snuff rasps and cigars and pipes and all the other accoutrements that go with it. And as tobacco spread as a so, social custom, so did the writers about them. And in fact, the great number of writers of the 17th and 18th century were smokers themselves. So what you have is a, sort of this explosive nature uh, and fascination with this humble plant, tobacco, and what it can do for society and with society and to society, that that it became, you know, you also have the, the counter school of all the anti's that in the, te- the the temperance societies in the late 19th century that were against it, so you had this feud going on for several several years, perhaps as much as a hundred, throughout the course of the uh, 17th, 18th, and mid 19th century. You know, started with King James the the, the sixth, with uh, no King James the first, with counterblast to tobacco back in 19- 1604, who railed against the use of smoking. Of tobacco so you've got 400 years behind you and it's never seemed to stop now the preponderance of literature today is anti-smoking health consequences litigation legislation this is what you see you know being sold on on amazon but the other side of it there isn't a one-for-one r- ratio i mean you don't get an anti-tobacco book out and somebody writes a pro-tobacco book immediately thereafter. But over time, I've been able to trace you know, how much has been written about tobacco and how much has been written about tobacco pipes and seeing a trend that I'm happy for but also concerned about because it's difficult to get a niche book out into the public domain. You know, the question of, is it worth my time? Do I know enough? Is there a book like this that's been done before? And... Will there be a market for it? All those questions are raised on the part of the author and on the part of the publisher. Will it sell? What's the bottom line? What's the operative price? You know, when do we break even? When does it go to remainder? Because a hell of a lot of people don't know that Carl Awa's book, which has been popular for almost a half century, was released in 73 by Random House, and less than a year later, it was remaindered. You could buy copies all over the place for $6.50 where the dust jacket was twelve ninety-five when it was released in the, uh, the fall of, of '73. And this is what happens to a lot of literature, not just necessarily tobacco literature. So a lot of questions are raised on the part of the author, a lot of questions are raised on the part of the publisher, or in, the, in most cases with tobacco books, it's always been on the, a concern on the part of the printer because most of these books are not published by large-scale, industrial, traditional publishing houses.
0: Anyway,
4: you asked for the time of day, and I just (laughs) built you a watch.
0: (laughs) Are there some of the books from the past that are your absolute favorites that you can suggest that we look for, source, find, dig up?
4: Well, yeah, I have a lot of favorites, but I think it's a lot easier to say if someone were to contact me, I have a reading list that I can send them. And I've broken it down... Uh, into categories, and <clears throat> so I have books on how-to, books on on uh, history, books on the industry, books uh, on tobacco, and so forth. My personal favorites happen to be one that I mentioned in that article, which is the first and only 19th century book illustrating antique pipes, and that's a book by the name of by, by an author named Pritchett called Ye Smoky published in 1890. Now, we're talking about all of the 19th century. One illustrated book on tobacco pipes, which questions, you know, the mind. We had a lot of meerschaum smoking, clay smoking, porcelain smoking, and briar smoking. Throughout that century, no one seemed to have written and published an illustrated book on pipes. The 20th century, of course, is a different animal altogether. And that's my favorite book, not because it's old, but because it happens to be the very first book that illustrates many pipes from around the globe. Two of my most favorite reading books are Fairhold's book called Tobacco, published in 1859 and then a reprint in 1876. If you look closely on the Internet, you might find a copy that's been reprinted in 1968 in two volumes. Uh, And the other book is a book called uh, Tobacco and its Associations, by Billings, B I L L I N G S. Billings had his book published in Connecticut. Fairhall's book was published in England. So they both, one's British, one's American, both published in close proximity to one another chronologically. Both, I think, are chock full of interesting anecdotes, illustrations, uh, <clears throat> and some decent history about the, the evolution of tobacco smoking and who did what to whom. And I think they're both quite good books. That's 19th century stuff. 20th century, again, it's a personal opinion. I've always admired Carl Aitwild, although I never met him, uh, of his book because he sort of broke the sound barrier in 1973. Up until then, most of the literature was not, at least to me, very exciting, very informative, or very illustrative. Carl did a jo- great job with his book. Sadly, I've been told by Miriam McNeil, who was his wife at the time, that Carl suffered a stroke. And, and again, I, I'm not, I have no confidence in this fact, but I was told that the stroke was prompted in part by the disaster of this major effort he put into putting this book together and then finding out within a year that the royalties would no longer be forthcoming. So wow. that's a sad commentary on that book. Um, towards the end of that of the 20th century. I don't know. It's a toss-up between several books that I have on my bookshelf, but I love them all, so I don't have any major, you know, uh, major issues with saying, "Well, this is a lesser quality book." I like them all. I buy them all. I own them all, so and I'll continue, you know, keeping my library until I stop writing.
0: So, like a parent, you have no favorite children. Correct. Do you think that? As the 20th century moved along, and now we're into the 21st century, and publishing became easier and less expensive to do, that at the same time, reading seems to have dropped off because there's TV, you know, first there was radio, then television, film, and now we have this thing called the World Wide Web to occupy our eyeballs with.
4: Well, I hope I don't insult anybody, but from my point as a. Um as both a book collector and a reader and a writer and uh, you know, running a small niche book book business by mail that started in the 70s so now we're working almost a half a century with my book business. <clears throat> I used to have as many as 100, 200 customers that, I, that I'd ship stuff to all year long. I probably have less than a handful right now that buy from me. Now, there is no other competing Bricks and water or internet facility that does what I do and have done for 30 years. And ironically, if they're not buying from me, if they're not, then they must not be buying or they're buying from someplace unknown to me that happens to be capture, you know, capturing their interest as a, as a source for literature. My, my, my business can shut down. I don't make a living at it. But I find that uh, with the marked decline in people buying from me suggests a couple of things, that the new kids on the block are probably trying to get their education and their entertainment from the Internet, and unfortunately, it ain't all there, and it may never be there, and if it's there, it may not even be accurate. In doing an earlier article, flags and Tobacco, oh, I searched Tinderbox, that <clears throat> in their advertising indicated that Meerschaum came from the the, the, the assemblage or, or collecting together of The Cuttlefish Show, and that's at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and anybody that, 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 that here's, a, here's a national chain called Tinderbox promoting Mearsham and giving a brief history of its origin, telling the reader on the Internet that it comes from cuttlefish. That's pretty bad. Pretty bad indeed. And so I'm not saying that you'd get that information in a lot of books, But this proves at least that on the Internet there's a lot of crap out there that people ought not to listen to. And if they're getting their education from it, then you're going to get too smart.
0: So in 50 years from now, we could have somebody researching the American resurgence of the artisan pipe maker, and they'd just be skimming through Internet stuff and pulling up all kinds of weird anecdotes and concoctions.
4: Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not into self-promotion and all. I'm not interested in promoting anybody else either. But thank God, thank the gods for a guy named Gary Schreer and, and Briar Books, because he's willing to stick his neck out and his in his uh, jingle, his own jingle, to fund manuscripts on a regular basis and get them into print, in the hope that people will be interested enough to buy it. He's the only game in town. You can't get a traditional house to take on a tobacco or a or a pipe manuscript, except in the case when the topic is anti, not pro.
1: Yeah,
0: in which case they'll jump all over it, and that may not be accurate either.
4: Well, here's a little sidebar. Uh, I approached Rizzoli about doing one of my books many years ago, and they said, well, the editorial board said that if they published a book on pipes or tobacco, They'd be concerned about how many parents of young children would refuse to buy any other book in the Rizzoli product line because we did a book on pipes of tobacco. That's how anti some of the publishing industry is. How I get away with doing books with Schiffer? Well, he's probably the foremost publisher of collector books around the world. He cranks out about 40, 50 titles a year. His catalog is like three-quarters of an inch thick. And he has no objection whatsoever of the subject matter as long as it sells. And he believes, I guess, that the topics about which I write will sell. And so I'm comfortable doing work with, you know, working with a, a, a standard, traditional publishing house. Because I don't have to worry about breaking even. I don't have to worry about uh, royalties. I don't have to worry about whether whether it goes to the warehouse or it goes to the whorehouse. For all I care, it, it's in print and if people want to buy it, fine. It's no skin off my teeth if they don't. In in the case of Briar Books, obviously, he'd like to see, you know, some green at the end of the line. And his you know his print runs are usually five hundred or a thousand at tops perhaps. Schiffer does ten thousand books in each printing. Wow. Now, in in their defense I'll say that my first book with them in '79 took took 20 years to sell 10,000 copies, but I didn't care. You know, my job was done in 1979. Their marketing and merchandising was their responsibility. I didn't have to go to trade shows. I didn't have to go to uh, to book signings. They did all of the work, and that's what I like about doing it that way.
0: And the other thing we should be thankful for is Chuck Stanion and pipes and tobacco's magazine. Cause you've written some wonderful articles and Chuck's not, you know, Chuck gives us a, a vehicle for you to, for you to put those articles in, uh, in particular, a couple of my favorites and I, I have the entire run of the magazine. So I went back and looked at the parsing old time pipe tobacco blends. Yeah. What? Just real quickly, what are some of your favorite old-time pipe tobacco blends and what they really mean?
4: I have only one. It's X90. It's a basic Burley that's used in most pipe shops as a basis for mixing whatever concoctions they come up with and sell privately in their shops. It comes from um, McClellan. Mm-hmm. I learned about it years ago in Virginia, and I smoke it straight because that, it had no bite, had a good aftertaste, and kept my pipe pretty clean, and it was reasonably priced. Just called X90, and they have it in bulk in most tobacco shops if you ask for it. I'm sure they'll sell it. Name brands? Nah, I'm not much into that. Never have been. Not an enticing thing for me to look at a brand-new you know, Pease or, or McClelland or Cornell, Cornell & Deal new tin tobacco. I'm, I, I, I've lost my interest in all of that a few years ago.
0: If somebody wants your reading list, how should they get a hold of you?
4: Just contact me by by my email address, and I'll send it to them. I'll send you my newsletter. I can send you the list of museums around the world that uh, have pipes or tobacco-related accessories on exhibit. I have a list of recommended reading I can send along to someone. I've got tons of lists. All they have to do is ask if I have it, and if I have it, they've got it. I'll send it to them.
0: And go ahead and give us the email address. Sure,
4: b n b n seven zero gray g r a y at gmail.
0: And we'll make sure and pop that up in the show notes. Uh, make sure and check out the two new books: the uh, Civil War book and the Porcelain Pipe books. Both of them are available. I'm assuming Amazon and online and everywhere else that uh, that your publishers have gotten them.
4: Yeah, uh, well. Check with Briar Books. Check their online website. He's the only one selling that book.
0: And then we'll wrap this up with the traditional fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Ready. What is your favorite pipe? Larson. And and we know your favorite tobacco is X90. So we'll we'll skip over that one. What's your favorite drink?
4: Uh, uh
0: Wait a real a real bourbon Manhattan or one with Jack Daniel's?
4: No, a real bourbon one.
0: Okay, good. All right, we can we can continue then.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, when it's time to relax, which it doesn't sound like you do much of, and I'm gonna guess the answer to this: Do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Uh, a book. Yeah, that was a that was an easy one. <laughs> that was a given, right? Yeah. And the last question: Any particularly favorite? Uh, pipe smoking related memory.
4: Um, yeah, my induction into the uh, into the Saint Claude Confrere. It was interesting, and, am I allowed a little bit of color?
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: <clears throat> when told I was living in Virginia, and was told that I was going to be inducted into the Confrere in Saint Claude, uh, fairly fluent in French, I wrote out my first speech, took it next door. And a close friend of mine who's married to a Belgian girl, I asked her to, to review it, make sure I made no editorial or, or befall, you know faux pas when I spoke. And the next day or so, she came over, rang the doorbell, I opened the door, and there she was, and she said, I have a problem. She says, you use the word la pipe. I said, yes. And she said, forgive me, but the only la pipe I know, and I come from Belgium, and it's the same vernacular in France, Means a blowjob,
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and anyway, so I went. I went to St. Claude and I gave my speech, and no one, no one commented on it because they're a little bit too sedate for that kind of a thing. So that's my favorite. That's my favorite story and my favorite uh, moment in, in pipe in the pipe world.
0: And I'll tell you real quickly, I had the same exact moment when I was doing research on the Big Ben pipe brand and I was on their website and hit, pushed a button that said uh, something in Dutch to the effect of Kona Klinken piping and saw that button and knew that I wanted to go to that area because it was a special pipe made for the royal family and hit Google Translate and it popped up as royal (laughs) blowjob
4: there you go Europeans have a different way of talking than we do, that's for sure anyway thank you so very much for contacting me I'm honored
0: Ben, thank you very much, hopefully everybody will reach out to you, the reading list, which I've seen the book list, I've seen his magazine article list, it's wonderful send him an email and uh, hope to have many many more books from you in the future
4: if I live long enough, Brian, well, I've got to do that first. I got I to survive to write.
0: Just keep researching and writing, and you won't, you won't know that it's, uh, that it's your time to go.
4: <laughs> yeah, I ain't taking it with me either. No. All righty. Take good care thank you.
0: Thank you. We'll be back in just a
1: minute.
3: This is Internet Radio. It's Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. The cool chill of night still clings to the air as the sun slowly rises over the misty surface of the lake. You've waited all week for just this moment. You know that today is going to be epic. Everything is here to ensure perfection, from the nice full cooler packed with your favorite suds to the other empty one, waiting to be filled with piles of freshly caught fish. Reaching into your pocket, you pull out your trusty briar, and fill it with your favorite tobacco, aptly named Great Outdoors. It is the perfect smoke for moments like these. A strike, a flash, and your tobacco is lit. As the delicious mixture ignites and swirls over your tongue and the deep rich burlies with a hint of sweet Virginia dance in your mouth, you smile. Casting your first line into the water, the slowly widening ripples begin to stir as you feel the first bite of the day tug at your line. Now you know it truly is going to be a good day and a perfect time to enjoy the simple yet unmatchable pleasures of the great outdoors. Great Outdoors is another fine quality pipe tobacco manufactured by Sutliff, America's oldest tobacco company, and is available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Enjoy your perfect day by purchasing a tin today. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum cob pipe.
4: An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com.
0: So I was thinking as I'm uh, sitting here talking to, we're talking to Ben and I'm, I'm literally two and a half feet away from my bookshelf. Um, i've got a I've got a lot of books and they're divided into two categories: Disney books or pipe and tobacco related books um I do enjoy the time that I get to uh, sit down with a book and there's just something there's something special about those times when you get to sit down with a pipe and a book and what better subject than to read about than pipes and while you're sitting there smoking it however, I will say I refuse to read a pipe. Or, tobacco related book or magazine or whatever it is on an airplane, it's just like, yeah, I'm starving to death and I'm at the buffet, but you can't eat it. No, so that's when I spend a lot of time reading my Disney books is on airplanes or, uh, hey, you know, I work with pipes all day long, so I sometimes need a break. And that's what the Disney stuff is. All right, for music, I thought we'd go back to uh, Gina Rude, who is on the show. Oh, I don't know, six eight months ago already, and uh, featured in, as a pipe babe. Uh, this one is called Southern Bound, and uh, hey, might be nice for cold winter time head south. So anyway, here's Gina Rude. <laughs> To find out more about Gina, go to her website, Gina, G-I-N-A-R-R-O-D-E.com, GinaRood.com.
3: Transmission begins from Moneypenny.
0: A couple of quick things from Facebook. Uh, Timothy Fernandez has just found the show and is enjoying it. Welcome aboard. <laughs> he literally just this past week listened to show number one, so we'll probably catch up with him in about six months or so. Uh, Bob Roller says, Brian, great show, man. It's always great to listen to the show on the way home and have a nice bowl after dinner. Thanks. Glad you're enjoying that. Uh, Let me correct myself, as Al noted. uh, That was a great show. This goes back uh, two weeks ago, or a week ago. Uh, That was a great show. Really enjoyed hearing about Tim's career. I didn't realize he lives in South Jersey. I frequent that area a lot. The Green Tree Tobacco Shop is... Uh, run by a very generous lady from England. In the past two shows, Brian gives the date for the New York City Club show as May 7th. The show is, on, is in March on the 7th. I'll be there. Al, you're absolutely correct. I apparently think if the month has an M&A an in it, they're all May because I want the warmer weather. But the uh, New York pipe show is March... 7th, Saturday, March 7th at the Newark Airport at the Ramada Windham. Anyway, for any information on pipe shows, you can go directly to PipesMagazine.com and click on the heading that says Pipe Events. There you will also see the uh, upcoming Saturday the 28th of February, the St. Louis Pipe Show. I will be at both shows, so if you get a chance, stop by. Also, if you are in Las Vegas, coming up this quick, coming up quickly here, Friday, Friday, January thirtieth, I believe, I will be at the uh, Las Vegas Paiute Smoke Shop in North Las Vegas. We're doing a in-store tasting and trunk show. So, Las Vegas, Friday, January thirtieth. That's uh, going to be uh, noon to about seven o'clock. So, hope to see you all there. Uh, going back to the mailbag John Seiler writes uh, the holidays were good to me a nice Sherlock Holmes Mearsham and two Clarence Mickles Hawkbills they are all good smokers the Clarence Mickles large Hawkbill being the best your reason for experimental difficulty are probably correct you will do better next time uh, Ricardo Santia is a person I do not know gee my guitars are here in my den and I smoke around them all the time I think it makes them sound better it's definitely not my playing i've not smoked a corncob in many years prior to not, to tonight i was not aware of anyone upgrading the corncob pipes uh maybe i may try one down the road the ones on ricardo's web page are intriguing uh keith Moore's selection promised land was very good i kind of miss seeing him at shows anymore rant i don't watch commercial tv anymore. Anyway. okay thanks john uh, Casey Ghost says, enjoyed the pipe parts even though my interest in tobacco blending ends with I wonder what Greg Pease, Mike McNeil, and Russ Ouellette have concocted for me today. Uh, the interview is fine. I've seen some of Ricardo's work, and if you're into cobs, I'm not. It looks like interesting stuff. Hard to get away from commercials. They provide an important service. How else would we know we need Viagra if they didn't tell us a hundred times an evening? Likewise, aren't you relieved to know we have a seemingly unlimited supply of ambulance chasers in case of personal injury, and it has been reassuring to know that 90% of our insurance per our insurance premium is going to broadcast ads with Flo and The Lizard. Yeah, the other thing is it's kind of interesting to watch commercials change as the seasons do. Um... Hey, if you get a chance, go back to some old stuff that you've recorded from the fall and see the political ads. And you can, you know, the one that lost. You can sit there and, yeah, sit there and give them the raspberry. Uh, Jay Fox five twenty writes Brian, another great show. Ricardo Santia was an interesting guest. I love the Promised Land. Keep up the good work. And lastly, Bill. P writes, Hi Brian, listening to the radio show is something I very much look forward to every week. A few episodes ago you mentioned some companies refusing to hire smokers and such. Well, I started smoking a pipe about five years ago, ten years into my career with a large, well-known company. I'm in very good health, exercise regularly, bike and hike 14,000 foot plus mountains annually, etc., Last year, during my annual open enrollment for my medical insurance, I came across a new question. It asked if I used tobacco of any form in 2014. This included cigarettes, cigars, pipes, snuff, smokeless tobacco, and even vapor products. Unless I certified that I had not, they would tack on a $50 per month tobacco surcharge. This blew my mind. Up to some time before that, I would partake of on average, about 10 bowls per week. I did some reading and found that we have the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act to thank for this. It opens a huge can of worms to discuss, but wow, this certainly falls into one of the realms of how did you once put it, uh, shit that really pisses me off. Yeah. Anyway, if you're interested, and in case you haven't heard about this yet, here's a link, and he puts a link to healthylife.com. All the best to you, Bill. Uh, let me add to that a couple things. One, the Affordable Care Act did take, uh, for patients like my daughter with diabetes, it brought those costs down, but at the same time, it did say that as a tobacco user, they could charge me a 30% higher annual premium. So for us as a family, that almost balanced out. What worries me about, in particularly about the Affordable Care Act, is what's the next step? If you come in for your annual screening and you're overweight, are they going to charge you extra? Uh, Going forward also as spring is coming around, Ortho, Scott's Lawn Care Products, another company that refuses to hire tobacco users. All right, don't forget, Pipe Show's coming up in just a few minutes. Rant time, although it's a rave, so stay with us.
1: I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meersham pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including Calabash, Claws, Dragons, Horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years.
0: I've talked about this in the past uh, about five or six years ago I stopped drinking my couple of beers at night and it was you know primarily to drop a few extra pounds and get a little bit healthier but at the same time the doctor had suggested to me hey if you're gonna drink at night drink a glass of red wine A glass of red wine not only helps your heart out helps you know it's it's not as not nearly as bad as a couple of beers a night so I fought with it and fought with it and fought with it. And then about uh, nine months ago or so, I was at Trader Joe's. And if you don't have a Trader Joe's in your area, it's a a little gourmet, artsy-fartsy grocery store of interesting foods from all around the world. And they get some unique products that are uh, just just for them. Well, I discovered because I... I would have problems with wine where it would dry me out and it would trigger migraines and stuff like that. So I was hesitant to drink more than a glass and I'd have problems with it. Anyway, I discovered a wine called Green Fin that is only available at Trader Joe's. And the best part of it is it doesn't give me a headache at all. I can have two glasses of wine over an evening and it doesn't give me a headache at all. It's made with organic grapes, although not 100% organic processed. And even better than that is when they have it in stock, it's between $3.99 and 4 dollars for a bottle. And I like the taste of it. None of that bitterness, none of that other stuff. And I'm not a wine snob like a certain uh, Gregory Pease is. Uh, but it's good tasting wine. I don't get a headache from it and I enjoy it. So there you go. If you're if you have a Trader Joe's near you and you can stop in and you want to try some red wine, stop in and check out uh, Green Finn. All right. So this weekend coming up, I'll be uh, on the West Coast and I got some work to do out there on Monday and I'll be back in time on Tuesday, although not back in time to do the radio show so next week's show will be 100 percent pre-recorded got a lot of exciting stuff coming up especially with international pipe smoking day next month and all the pipe show season coming up so share your uh, share the pipes magazine radio show with friends keep listening every week if you get a chance leave us a rating or review on itunes post all your comments on pipesmagazine.com or follow me on facebook and send me a message I want to thank Ben for joining us and thank Ben for all his wonderful work that he's done for the hobby. Thank you all for tuning in and thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. Until next time.
3: Boom, He's smiling on Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just ah. sing a song and think about sunny weather Happy train Celebrity voices are impersonated. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting.